I'm going to ask you a trite question, but got it right out of the trite question handbook. No, I'm kidding. But if somebody were to, if you were to, you know, somebody asked you, what is the ingredients to a great life? What would you think? You know, it's easy on the shallow end to think, hey, a little more money equals a great life. Success, a little house in Cabo, that'd be all right. I'd take that. But, yeah, especially right now. But, you know, we often go there to think that, we, we think so temporary sometimes about what a great life is or what life is really about when Jesus would answer that question a lot different, you know, than what is our kind of go-to thing. Second question, do you ever look at some people's lives and just wonder at how do they stay so calm under stressful situations? How do they stay so focused in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a difficulties of life? And then do you ever wonder why some people seem, their lives seem so productive for the kingdom of God? Where does that come from? Well, I think Jesus is going to give us the answer this morning to those three questions. What's a great life? What is the ingredients of that? How do we learn to, to stay calm and at peace and even joy in the midst of struggles? And then to be productive for the kingdom of God. We're in a, a series where we're going through the gospel of Luke. And we're looking at the life of Jesus. What did he do? What did he say? And how did he ultimately fulfill this mission of seeking and saving that which was lost? So I'm going to read from Luke 8. We're going to talk about becoming good soil. There's a website out there called Becoming Good Soil where a guy writes about men becoming, you know, godly men and men that, that, are, that you know, have hearts after God. So I stole his website title for this message. So God bless you. How do we become good soil? Here, here, I'm going to read this passage to you. Luke 8, 4, verses 15. Now, when a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the sky ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and when it came up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And yet other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as much. As he said these things, he would call out, the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now his disciples began asking him what this parable meant. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest they are told in parables, so that while seeing they may not see, and while hearing they may not understand. Now this is the parable. The seed is the word of God, and those beside the road are the ones who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are the ones who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And yet, these do not have a firm root. They believe for a while, and in a time of temptation, they fall away. 
and the seed which fell among the thorns, those are the ones who have heard as they go on their way, they are choked by worries, riches, and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word with a good and virtuous heart and hold it firmly and produce fruit with perseverance. Years ago, I was talking with a guy, and he said, I think these agricultural illustrations in the Bible, we need to make them a little more relevant for today. Let's talk about the internet and computers and all this stuff. That would be way more relevant for people to, to understand. And I remember, I didn't say it to his face, but I thought, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> because to think that your spiritual maturity, your spiritual growth is at a touch of a button. Like I could pull my phone out and boom, download a book, be ready and be listening to it in, you know, 10 seconds or less. And that's, you can move money from your phone. It's all instant, instant, instant. And the agricultural illustrations of the hard work of a farmer and the patience of a farmer are way more true of our spiritual lives. It would be great, I've said this before, if he could Jesus pops us in a microwave and sets the counter, 30 seconds, boom, open up, and here we are. We act like Jesus. We talk like Jesus. We think like Jesus. That'd be wonderful, right? It doesn't work like that. It's a lifetime of following and, and, and walking with Him and learning and failing and getting back up and continuing on and, and letting the Word of God grow in us. Let's look at the three key elements from this parable. The sower, the farmer that sows the seed is God, he said. So God's the one who sows the seed. In Isaiah 55, God says through the prophet Isaiah, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it produce and sprout and providing seed to the sower and bread to the water, so will my word be which goes out of my mouth it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. God's word is going to, to, to accomplish what he wants it to accomplish. When you see the word word, don't just think ink and paper in the Bible that you have. Jesus is the word of God. He is the utmost true revelation of who God is. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But this, this book, this, this, these words that we read have life and have power to change us. Many of us have experienced that life change of reading, reading the word and having it on the inside of us change our outlook, give us purpose, give us hope. So the seed is his word, the word of God. God spoke, and the world came into existence. Jesus is the creator of all things, sustainer of all things. He spoke as the word of God, and everything came into being. Keep that in mind when you see the word of the Lord came to the prophet. Well, it's interchangeable with who Jesus is. He, he is the word of the Lord. He's, he's God's word to us, and he is our word back to God. And understanding the power of the word what it does. Um, years ago, a friend of mine, mutual friend of some of ours, um, 
he wasn't a follower of Jesus, and his wife became a follower of Jesus. And she did what a lot of spouses do when they follow Jesus, but their spouse doesn't really want to hear about it. She kind of, hey, will you come to church with me? Hey, will you read this? Will you do that? And, and uh, he just didn't want to have anything to do with it. And one day, I don't remember the special occasion. It might have been his birthday, but she got him a Bible with his name engraved on it. And she thought, this is the winning shot here. This is, he's definitely going to be in after he gets this. He got it, and he admits that he was just like, thank you. Like, that's really what I wanted, you know. I had my eye on a set of golf clubs. You got me a Bible, but thank you. And um, one day they got in a fight, and he took the Bible, and he threw it on the ground in anger towards her and her faith and preaching at him. And then, fast forward a little bit, he was watching a golf tournament, and somebody was holding a sign that said John 3.16, and he thought, well, let me go pick up this Bible with my name engraved on it, and he found John 3.16, which says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever will believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. In that moment, that verse changed his life. He fell on his knees, cried out to God, became a follower of Jesus, and has never looked back since. God's Word is powerful, and it accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. Paul told the young pastor Timothy, as he was encouraging him, he said, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from you who, whom you have learned them, and that from childhood... You have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. That's pretty awesome. I like to look at that passage this way, that the scriptures show us how to get on the path of following God, how to follow Jesus. The scriptures show us when we get off that path, when we're not, we fall off. And then the scriptures teach us how to get back on the path. And then the scriptures teach us how to stay following him on the path. That's why it's so, so important. The soil in, in this parable is our hearts. Becoming good soil is all about the soil of your heart, so to speak, and with God's Word going into our hearts and then producing fruit. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of of the soil, of our hearts. So he talked about, Jesus talked about four scenarios of where the seed landed as the, as the farmer, as the sower sowed the seed. The first one was the hardened path. Anybody who you go hiking or whatever, that path has been walked on so much, had, had snow or rain come on that dirt that it basically turns to a hard clay. 
And so if you sow the seed on that path, it, it can't penetrate. It can't, it can't penetrate that, that type uh, of stuff. And so the birds come. Jesus said it's actually the devil. And just take, take that word away. And you could probably think about in your life times where maybe you heard the word of God, but it didn't do much to you. And it's, your, your heart has to be softened. And so the, the problem is the seed can't get in there. The second one he talked about was the shallow soil, the, the soil that, um, you know, just couldn't get roots. The, the crop couldn't, the seed sprouted, but there was no roots in there. Years ago, uh, my oldest daughter, she wanted to create a garden in our backyard, and we had just pulled some bushes and so the soil really stunk for farming, but it was our only piece of really possible dirt for a garden. And so we went and we bought some beans and some strawberry seeds and some carrot seeds. We tilled the soil, put fertilizer down, watered it, got it all prepared, and we sowed the seed and nothing ever really came up. Like one little carrot that was very, very... Uh, underprivileged carrot, that's for sure. It, 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 was, it was bad. And the reason was the soil didn't allow for roots to really grow. And the sun, where that piece of dirt was, the sun would just beat that area down. We're not exactly gardeners or farmers in, in our household, but we gave it our best shot. And I, I, I liken the shallow soil to sometimes people are impulsive in their idea that Jesus will be the quick fix to my life. He'll be the quick fix to my problems. And yes, he is the ultimate remedy to all of our issues, but it isn't instant. It isn't instant. It's learning to walk with him. And so people are impulsive. Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll follow Jesus. And they pray a prayer or they do this or that, but nothing really changes in their life, especially when trials come and suffering come. They think, well, this Jesus thing didn't work, I still suffer. And that's the wrong approach to understanding what it means to follow Jesus in the first place. Then he talked about the soil with weeds. And the people, the, the soil with weeds are, the crop grows, but there's weeds around it that choke out the life of the plant, the life of the crop. And Jesus likens these weeds that people get distracted by the cares of the world. We get, we get very earthly focused instead of thinking beyond our lives here on earth. We like to be comfortable here. We want to have a, a good life, quote unquote, and all of that. And there's nothing wrong with, with, with those things, but that's not reality, right? And so people believe for a while and then get distracted. The weeds choke out the word. Then he talked about the fruitful soil. Fruitful soil, is if that's our hearts, it's an open heart. Fruitful soil, people with fruitful soil as their hearts and their lives for the Word of God are people who find their joy in obedience to Jesus. And I don't mean legalism. I don't mean rules and do's and don'ts and da-da-da. No, just like Jesus says to do this, I'm going to go do it. He says to, to love, to forgive, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put into practice what Jesus says to do. And so his goal in this whole parable in talking about fruitful soil 
is fruitfulness and impact. God wants our lives to produce fruit. So we get the word planted in our hearts. We do what he says to do. Your life is fruitful. That is the secret, the ingredients to a great life is a fruitful life. Jesus told his disciples, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I told you a couple weeks ago, I don't really like the word Christian anymore because you could just say you're a Christian, but it doesn't change your life. It has no bearing on the decisions you make. Following Jesus makes all the difference in the world. Or, you know, I, I, great, somebody says they're a Christian. Are you following Jesus in your marriage? Are you following Jesus in your friendships? Are you following Jesus in how you handle your money? Are you following Jesus in how you work? That's totally different than, oh, I'm a Christian. That's just a title. And some people are born into Christian families, a Christian country, but do we follow Jesus? That's the, the bigger, better question. Um. I'd try to say this without bawling, but we went to, several of us went to Pastor Russ's memorial 10 days ago. And for those of you that don't know him, I affectionately call him the dean because he was the dean of the Bible college I went to. And he was my spiritual father, my, my spiritual mentor in, in, in teaching me about life and ministry and many things. And uh, he, he went to heaven a couple weeks after Christmas, and at his memorial, it was amazing. There was like 800 people, and the tribute to his life from from people and his family to co-laborers and so forth, man, this dude, (laughs) Pastor Russ, lived a fruitful life. His life was fruitful, and when you think of fruitfulness, here's what I want to make sure you, you, you you don't think of. Well, that's pastors and missionaries and people who do ministry have fruitful lives. Forget that. We all are called to live a fruitful life, whatever your calling is. But Pastor Russ had a calling. He had a calling to pastor and to raise up and equip pastors and leaders, and he did it all over the world. And after the Bible college, uh, you know, they stopped doing that. He went and created Joshua Nations and has been in hundreds of nations training people how to pastor in the local church. And who knows the fruit that, that he has from his ministry. But as we were at his memorial, I remember somebody said that, that we all looked at him as this spiritual giant. And yet he didn't see himself that way because he was humble. He was, he was the complete opposite of that. He just wanted to fulfill what Jesus had asked him to do. He was good soil. That's why he was fruitful. His heart, you know, it's, it was spoken about him at his funeral as Jesus talked about, you know, Nathaniel in John that there's someone in whose heart there is no guile. That, that was Pastor Russ. He had a heart that was found its joy in doing what Jesus asked of him to do. I never heard him say a cross word to anybody. I never heard him talk bad about somebody. I never heard him gossip. It was always humility. It's because his heart was good soil. So how can you and I become good soil, better soil, better than we even are right now? I think it comes right out of this passage that I read to you. And the, the first one is you got to prepare your soil, prepare your heart, so to speak. 
That's basic farming 101 is you got to turn the dirt. Sounds like a country song, right? You got to turn the dirt if you're going to get some crops, whatever. But it is. Turn that dirt if, before you sow the seed. So you gotta ha- we got to prepare the soil of our heart. Jesus' half-brother James said this. He said, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your soul. What do we need to get rid of? I wrote down four things. And the first thing I wrote down to get rid of is sin. You may think, wow, Scott, that's really profound, right? But don't think sins, the sins of the flesh, behavior, um, don't do this and don't do that. Don't think that. Sin is, is, a, is a love problem. At the end of the day, when we sin, it's, it's a failure to, to love and believe that God's good and that what he says to do is good. It's a failure to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love people. So sin has always a, got a love problem. The more we learn how to love God and let that love flow out to other people, sins seem to kind of leave. And we work our way away from those things. We learn to walk as Jesus walked. As imperfect as we are, as much as I fail every day at what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus, I'm still following him because he has the words of eternal life. The thing about sin is sin gets easier when it's unchecked. If we don't check it, it just gets easier and easier and easier to do. And I know you all know exactly what I'm talking about. There are certain things in our life that, that can get, get easier because we don't check it. And I think that's the, that's the part for us in, in sanctification and participating with Jesus is, Lord, I don't want to walk in sin. I hear people say stuff like that to me sometimes. Hey, Scott, why don't you talk about sin more? Why don't you talk about this more? I don't think I need to. We all know we sin. And it's how do I, I, and and if you think that's soft on on sin and our discipleship, listen, who of us wants to go back to that old life if you ever had an old life? And those of you that never had really an old life, you didn't miss out on anything. Good for you that you don't have that. The thought of that old life, ugh, that sounds disgusting. I don't want that. I want Jesus. And you want Jesus. And we want to walk in his, in, in his path. I think the next one to get rid of is fear. Get rid of fear. Fear comes from not believing God is good. We worry because we don't really believe that God really knows what he's doing sometimes. And that's that darkness that we walk in. God's out there disinterested and he's not good. When the lights come on, it's, no, he's right in me. He's Christ in me, the hope of glory, and he's good. His fundamental nature of our God is goodness. He is good and can be trusted and is faithful. And then pride. I think we need to get rid of pride. Pride is... I'm going to run my own life. It's all about me. I'm going to get mine. 
Humility is the antidote to pride. And then bitterness. Bitterness is a root, the book of Hebrews says. Don't let any root of bitterness, of unforgiveness, find its way into your heart. And that gives uh, unforgiveness gives us hard hearts. When the uh, when winter leaves and and the, you're starting to have your mow the grass again, and if you have weeds or dandelions in your in your front backyard, you can do one of two things with those dandelions. You can you can just mow them over. Excuse me, mow them over. You can you can mow them over. <laughs> I was hitting a high note there or something. You come all over and your grass looks good for two days. Then all of a sudden, bloop, here comes the little yellow flower again. And you got to deroot that dandelion in order to get rid of it. Same with bitterness. When, when I was uh, in third grade, my parents decided they were going to take us to Hawaii. Uh, my sister's in this room. She can testify to this. My parents thought that it was a good idea to buy this Samsonite set of luggage that was the same color as Pepto-Bismol. And it was hard plastic luggage, too, with no rollers. So we're carrying these big things through the airport, looking like the Brady Bunch or something. What, what is going on here? And we used those luggage, set of luggage one trip, and they made their way into the attic. And my parents moved several times after that. And that set a Luggage went everywhere we went, from house to house, boom, right back into the attic. And we never used it again. Finally, they got rid of it at some point in time. Luggage is another word for baggage, right? Kind of carry your bags for you. And I think in, it, life gives us baggage. Life hurts. People hurt us. We've been through difficulties. We've been betrayed. We've made mistakes. And life gives us baggage that we kind of don't even realize we're carrying it around. We need to give that baggage over to Jesus. We need to give life's baggage over to him and let him carry our bags, so to speak. But I think there's a different kind of baggage, and it's spiritual baggage that a lot of people have. A lot of people have been hurt by church because there's people in church, messy people in church, sinners in church, of which I am great at. And when people get hurt by church, they get hurt by Christians, they get mad at God, they get frustrated with God, because somebody let me down, that means God let me down. We have our eyes in the wrong focus there, that our eyes need to be on God, who will never let you down, never leave you, never forsake you. We got to learn to forgive the people who hurt us over and over and over. And I think allowing, giving that bitterness over to God allows you to function in a local church with humility and the ability to serve rather than think, who's going to hurt me? How am I, I going to get hurt in a, in a church environment versus I'm just going to come and serve and I'm going to set the bar so low for uh, the potential of somebody rubbing me wrong, and I'm going to set the bar so high that I'm going to forgive and I'm going to overlook as best as I can. Second thing in preparing our hearts, our soil, is uh, we need to protect our roots. Jesus talked about that, having a good root system, the importance 
of a strong root system in the natural is very true in our spiritual life. Jeremiah, the prophet, says, But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green, and they never stop producing fruit. How do we protect our roots? How do we be that? A couple things. Roots, literally, our spiritual roots deepen by meditating on Scripture. Psalm 1 talks about that. As we meditate on the Word of the Lord, that we'll be like trees, fruitful trees planted by living waters. And if you're new to the Bible, new to church, new to Jesus, what does that mean to meditate? Do I sit there and om, you know? No, that's not what that means. Meditating on Scripture is reading it slowly. Literally, as a cow chews its cud, that cow, that's what it is. It's slowly chewing on Scripture. And some of us probably have some, you know, ADD when it comes to reading. You read a couple pages and go, what, what did I read? I don't even know. Well, slow down. Look, don't, this is not an assignment when you read the Bible. You're not checking off a duty list. You're growing in your relationship. You're mining for nuggets of gold in the Word of God. So slow down and meditate it, chew on it, ask questions of it. And then roots deepen in trials. Like it or not, I don't like this one, but it's true that, you know, James, again, Jesus' half-brother says, consider it pure joy brothers and sisters, when you go through various trials, because your faith is growing as you persevere. You know, most fruit trees have to have a winter season. They have to have a season where they're fruitless. And a fruitless tree is kind of like a, you know, like a dog with a cone over its head. It just looks kind of like it's embarrassed of itself. And, but in, but in that winter season, the, the roots it looks barren up here, but the roots are going deeper and deeper, finding moisture, finding nutrition, nutrients. And that as the roots grow deeper, the storms can come and blow, but it's, it's not going to go anywhere. It's important that we, we understand that. So if you're in the middle of a difficulty right now, your roots are growing. Cooperate with the Lord. And then a strong root system helps you persevere in tough times, as the book of Romans teaches us. Trees, you know, blow over in storms without a strong root system, and they dry up in the heat. So we got to remember that. God's working in your, in your life. So protect those roots, grow your roots. And then thirdly, becoming good soil is pull the weeds. Like, pull the weeds. Weeds choke out the plant. Weeds are anything in our lives that rob us from our relationship with God. Anything that's causing you not to follow Jesus and, and live life with Him is a weed of some sort in our life. And I know, according to this, this parable, there's, there's two main weeds that Jesus had in mind. The first is the weed of worry. Worry chokes out the Word of God in our life because we see promises in Scripture and our worry says, mm, no, he's not gonna, God's not going to do that for you. He'll do that for everybody else but you. You're weak. 
And worry is, what if? What if I'm sick? What if I have cancer? What if there's not going to be enough money? What if it gets to 20 below? What if, what if, what if, what if? And we play those what ifs over in our mind, and you know what worry is? It's the opposite. It's the negative version of meditating. When you say meditating on Scripture, you're just playing the Scripture over in your mind, saturating your mind. When you're worrying, you're just playing your, your fears over and over and over in your mind. You're meditating on the wrong thing. I do it. It's easy to worry, right? It, doesn't, it, it's a, it comes natural to our fallenness and letting the Spirit change us from within. Psalm 55, verse 22 says, Leave all your cares and anxieties at the feet of the Lord, and measureless grace will strengthen you. I like that. Is worry beating you up somewhere in your life today? I have compassion for you, the utmost compassion. It's a tough place to be. But here's what I want you to do. I want all of us to do this. Ask Jesus if he's worried when you're worried. And then just listen for that little tuning fork to go off in your heart for him to say, no, I'm not worried. And I got you. And I got this. Let that happen in your life. You are as secure in Jesus as his relationship to his father. That's your security. Not how much money's in the bank. Not how life's going to go this or that. His re- how great is the relationship between the Father and the Son? It's perfect. And we're in that relationship. That's how secure we are. Let that battle your worry. And then the weeds of materialism. Now, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. And we in the West have a lot more stuff than most people in the world. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't, God doesn't want that stuff to have our hearts at the end of the day. That's what materialism is. i got to have more, more, more in order to be happy or secure. Here's what Paul encouraged his young pastor, Timothy, how to pastor his church. He said, but those who crave the wealth of this world slip into spiritual snares. They become trapped by the troubles that come through their foolish and harmful desires, driven by greed and drowning in their own sinful pleasures. And they take others down with them into their corruption and eventual destruction. Loving money is the first step towards all kinds of trouble. Some people run after it so much that they have given up their faith. Craving more money pushes them away from the faith into error, compounding misery in their lives. The antidote to materialism is generosity. We have a generous God. And he is, everything we have is his in the first place. And so we're stewards over that. And he wants us to nurture an attitude of generosity. And as we're generous, we say, God, this is yours. I'm sharing it. I'm sharing everything that I have because it's yours in the first place. That pulls that weed of materialism. And then lastly, very important key to becoming good soil is that you purpose yourself in advance to do what the Word says to do. Now, I capitalized the word WORD. Those are all caps anyway. But on my notes, the word WORD is in capital because do whatever the Word 
not just the ink and paper, right? Do whatever the Word of God, Jesus, the living revelation of God, when He tells us to do something or not to do it, He's got our best intention at heart. He wants us to have a fruitful, fruitful life. Here's James again. But don't just listen to the word, God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. I thought about this a long time ago. If you went out and bought a new car, that'd be cool, right? You buy a new car, and uh, you pull out your, your car manual out of the glove box, and you read through it. You memorize it. I know how to do this. Yep, 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 yep. Computer, yep. On and off. Change a tire. Okay, great. And you set your manual down. And you never grab the key and put it in the ignition and drive the car. You're with me, right? No one even laughed on that. Like, that would be dumb, right, to not do that. I memorized the manual, but I never drove, drove the car. What's the point? And so I'm trying to give you an illustration of we can read the Word of God, we can memorize it, but at the end of the day, am I practicing what it says to do? And I'm talking to me. I'm not talking down to anybody watching or in this room. I'm talking to me. Am I willing to do and prepared to do and purpose myself to do what it says? Here's what's important. When you're reading Scripture, always ask questions of what you're reading. Ask the question sometimes, just say, okay, I read this, so what? So what? what? What is the Lord asking of me? What attitude might need to be adjusted, Lord? What promise are you making to me that I need to rely upon today? The more you ask questions of it, the more it gets into your heart, the more fruitful you're going to truly be in your life. I heard a pastor say one time, he said, I... I I only truly believe the parts of the Bible that I put into practice. And I thought, ooh, that's true. And the Bible talks a lot about generosity and how to be stewards of finances and, and being generous with what we have. And it's easy to know that and go, ooh, but if I'm generous, what's going to be left over for me? How am I going to make it? And God says, you can't outgive me. I'm, I'm more generous than you are. <laughs> I can promise you that. And, and just learning, it's not giving to get by any means, but it's a trust that God is faithful. When we're generous, you know, it's that abundance mentality. God, you're more, more than enough. So I think I want to kind of close this with this thought. Maybe some of you are going, Scott, I don't read the Bible. I really don't. I'm not in a, in a habit of reading the Bible. I'm not here to shame you on that. I'm here to challenge you and encourage you to start reading the Bible and watch what the Word does because as we become fruitful soil and that Word is the seed, we depend upon that to produce fruit in our life. In ourselves, we can't do anything. Apart from Him, I can do nothing. But He wants to produce fruit as we're connected to Him. We're the, you know, the vine and the branches, right? He's the vine, we're the branch. He wants to produce fruit. One of the main ways we stay connected to the vine is through Scripture, through reading through the Gospels and the Psalms and the New Testament, understanding the big picture of the Old Testament and how Jesus came from that. It's important. So how, You might be saying, how, how do I do that? 
Well, if you don't know, we have people that would come right alongside of you and help you learn how to read the Bible. I'll do it with you. But if, if you're intimidated by the Bible, often people are intimidated by the Bible because we, we approach it wrong. We read things and go, oh, what in the world does that mean? Because this is an ancient book written a long time ago. And how did, what, is that, what did it mean then and what does it mean for us today? It's still living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, ready to get into our hearts. So how do we learn how to read the Bible? Read it in a relational way. Read it in a way to get to know Jesus better. That's, that's the secret. Um, if, you've, if you're new to church, new to reading the Bible, I don't even know who donated these, but it was a very sovereign thing that God did. Here's the, out on our cafe tables, there is this little book. This right here is the Gospel of Luke that we're studying together. If you've never created a habit of reading Scripture, this is a little... Which one's more intimidating? The bit, my big, thick, New American Standard? Or the, the Gospel of Luke right here? I can read it just like a, any book. And it's, it's laid out in such a way that you'll grow closer to Jesus as you read through the Gospel of Luke. Take one. Read it. Uh, take a couple. Pass them out. We got a whole box of them. So whoever gave them, thank you. And let's, let's, let's get the Word of God in our hearts. So here's, here's my final thought. Two things. Would you, if this is for the first time in your life, would you commit to creating a habit of Scripture intake on a daily basis? That's, that's, that's my challenge. Would you commit for the first time say, yeah, that's me. And I'll, I'll start by reading through this. Tell me what to do next. I'll be glad to help. Maybe some of you have been a little slack in Scripture. You've read it, but it's not a priority to you on a daily basis. I'm asking you to make that a priority on a daily basis. There's so many ways to get Scripture, like with the YouVersion Bible app, listening to it while you drive to work, whatever. I mean, there's a ton of different ways. We have so much access to the Scriptures. So recommit yourself to a daily intake. We all want to be fruitful. We all want to be good soil. This is just, there's no way around reading Scripture to understand God and to know Him better. Here's the kicker, though. Commit to a habit of Scripture, but as you approach the Scriptures every day, Lord, what I read, I commit to obeying, to doing what you say to do. And Lord, when I don't do what you say to do, when I fail, will you kick me in the butt and make sure I get back on the path so that I become a loving, fruitful, forgiving faith-filled, hope-filled person that is shining your light to the world around us and living the full life that Jesus intends for us to. He's so good. He's so good. We stand with me and let's pray. Lord, Thank you for the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Father, a relationship with you. Thank you for the gospel. 
Thank you that you're working in our lives. And so today, Lord, we commit to following you, Lord Jesus, wholeheartedly. We know we fail, we know we stumble, but we know you're always there to pick us up. You never leave us behind. Lord, I thank you for that scripture in Hebrews that, Lord Jesus, that you're not ashamed to call us your brothers and sisters. Help us. God, I pray for those that are, that are hurting today. They've been hurt because of choices other people have made. Encourage them. You identify with that. And Lord, I pray for those who are feeling guilty for choices that they've made. Help them to get back on the path and follow you. Thank you that your grace truly is enough and that you give us the power to walk with you. So Lord, we not only commit to Scripture, but we commit to doing what you say to do, Jesus. Because you hold the words to eternal life. You're our creator, our sustainer, and our redeemer. And we love you. May we love you with all our hearts in how we live, how we think, how we act, how we speak, how we treat one another. May that be an act of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.